0: The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tuity Fitness
1: and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. You have been forewarned. Welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Halloween edition. We are once again talking Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. My name is Michael Chance of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man who cannot get enough of Halloween 3 ever, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hello, Tom. Drinking and doctoring great combination. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have to tell you, I have never witnessed a more damning introduction to a lead character in a work of fiction than Dr. Daniel Chalice Ever. in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Possibly the only exception to that would be Ebenezer Scrooge in Charles Dickens' there Christmas Carol. That's the only other one I can think of yeah. that comes close. Well, what's And fun- then compare that to how Conal Cochran... Is introduced in this movie as the (laughs) literally
1: the nicest man in the world ever. As he's taking the scorched face of a woman, but he's paying the hospital bills. (laughs) I think you mean the burial bills. (laughs) I got it. So I got to tell you just right off the bat because as listeners of this podcast will already know I declared this a bad movie when we did the 1982 singles. You did. And I have readjusted to a good movie. Yeah. But I have all the same problems. (laughs) And most of them have to do with Dr. Daniel Chalice. Yes. And I found him even (laughs) more disagreeable this time. But I think yes. I think what I agree helped, with that, I think what helped, I, I agree that he's disagreeable. Yeah, I think what helped me uh, see this movie as a good movie this time was knowing that going in. Well, I don't think the movie makes any bones about
0: how dysfunctional Daniel is. I think that's why I always yeah, it's give just it a inexplicable past. that he's our hero. Right. <laughs> and you know this time watching it this time around i've i've noticed you know other scenes where you know dysfunctions i hadn't even considered before appear um you know <laughs> he's even less heroic than i remember him yes um he's more hapless yeah. more... He... well i have i have a lot of i have a lot of theories about like, where that puts him in the pantheon of cinematic heroes. Okay. So we'll, we'll get to that at some point.
1: All right, fine. All right, well, let's talk about this. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, is, as we know, a 1982 movie directed by what, Tommy... What is it? Yeah. <laughs> so firmly planted in the 80s. Fucking <laughs> alcoholic pedophile, your hero. Right. Uh, directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, who has also directed, I believe we discussed before, Fright Night Part 2 and the It miniseries. Yes. Tom. Yeah. You're going to be happy to hear this. Oh. Of, of all the Halloween sequels that we're doing this year. Yes. Halloween 3 Season of the Witch has the highest Rotten Tomatoes score at 41%. Yeah, it's I mean that doesn't surprise me. but as we previously discussed, Halloween 2 and four, I think we both agreed in our last episode are criminally low.
0: Yes, but um this is this is definitely a movie I mean just to put it in context, uh, after after Halloween three, uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill st- sold their stakes in the yes. Halloween franchise. They were done, and there were literally no bidders <laughs> beyond um, one of the other stakeholders, Mustafa. Mustafa, right? Yeah. No bidders. That's crazy. So that t- that gives you some idea about what the reputation of this movie was. Um, obviously, it's only up from there, but people have I think embraced its its individuality, its originality, and its standaloneness. It's insanity, yeah, <laughs> but it's also you know i i I think you can also make a good argument that it's a it's a really important stage in this franchise as well
1: mm-hmm.
0: what in terms of what it's doing well, that's that's interesting to me
1: too, because I found it to be a good movie. Maybe most especially in the context of all the other Halloweens, right? In that context, it changes. It's it's more interesting to me. It's as interesting to me. Okay, but I agree. Well, with mo- what I mean is more interesting than I thought it was before.
0: It definitely gains something um, when you when you think of it as a um, a variation on the themes. And ideas that are in other Halloween sequels. Uh huh. I do think it it um, it adds to the franchise, and the franchise adds to it. All right, is my 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 strong feeling about this. Despite the lack of continuity, if you look below, if you look below the surface on that, you actually see that this is a really this is a really important um, turning point, both in a good and bad sense in the in the franchise. All right. That perhaps people didn't know at the time. They just wanted to get away from it.
1: So much uh, so that, I mean, it still made money. It was only a budget of $2.5 million, had an opening weekend of $6.3 million, but in the USA and the world, fourteen point four. So it's not lighting the world on fire. No. And, and, and
0: you know, what it, did, what it did to the reputation of the franchise is evident from that anecdote I just uh, laid out. No studio from the top to the bottom wanted anything to do with this series after Halloween 3. (laughs) Even Canon didn't put in a bid.
1: Now that's saying something. Can you imagine? Yeah, right? Can you imagine a scenario where 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 Canon says, thank you, no. The the producers (laughs) of
0: Superman 4, Quest for Peace... (laughs) just a a, ter- a terrible digression that I don't I don't want to go on. I had a nightmare the other day that revolved around the fact I couldn't remember the subtitle to S- Superman 4.
1: Oh no. Yeah. This podcast is starting to to, yes. to do things to your psyche. I just couldn't pull it out.
0: So uh, I have obviously uh, I've got some kind of podcast anxiety dreams that's, that I'm having.
1: Oh, I'm delighted by that. That's hysterical. Yeah. I also, uh... am sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay.
0: I'll recover. All I know right. that Michael Myers haunts, haunts your dreams, so I thought That's I'd, true. Re, I'd reach out with my own... Uh,
1: <laughs> my <laughs> own <laughs> podcast-based anxiety nightmares. Well, now, how do we attack this movie, as we've already talked about it once? Good, Very good question. Uh...
0: I think a good place to start is where, where you're starting from is, is,
1: you know, what what played different this time? I'll tell you the thing that played the most different for me. Despite the fact that he is not directing it, yeah. I saw this as such a John Carpenter movie. Mm-hmm. It felt like a John Carpenter movie. I mean, and I think part of that has to do with the benefit of me having rewatched yeah. recently. They live. I made that note too. Yeah, yeah. The um, the sharp-suited.
0: Yeah, they they feel complementary
1: to one another. Yeah, and not just with besuited assholes, but uh, in this instance, besuited robots. Yes. But uh, also, sort of shot selection and the style of it. And especially mm. like my first note is the computer horror credits, that feels so John Carpenter. Yeah, and um, kind of
0: where well, we talked a little bit in in uh, the Halloween two episode about how uh, it was like the beginning was like Lynch without Lynch. I think this is like Cronenberg without Cronenberg. It's yeah, like the beginning of Videodrome. Pretty much to a T. Yes,
1: and I <laughs> and then scenes so later on say in the that movie. Because are... I had the same exact feeling.
0: Um, but it's just picking up on, I think, ideas, cultural concerns that are in the ether about commercialism, mass media, voyeurism, uh, um, and conservative violence. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right in saying that. Um, the ca- what this adds to the franchise that we haven't seen before in it feels very carpenter-like, right? If you look at if you look at they live, and um, you know how he feels about eighties corporate culture, commercialism, the
1: mass media. Yeah, it's not it's not hidden in the in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the basis of the movie, right? <laughs> um. So much
0: so that it kind of, and this is this is what this is my big takeaway from watching it this time, is we talked a little bit in the in the when we did this before that that this is not a horror movie, it's a science fiction movie and not even a scary science fiction right. movie, but I I go even further this time and say I think this is an anti slasher. Yes. We've had two slasher movies so far, and watching them back to back, I realized this movie um, upturns every convention and trope of the
1: slasher movie. Of the slasher movie, and that that was something I took away from it too, and also the idea that it felt so conscious. Yes. Having watched (laughs) Halloween 1 and 2, and then... Watching this, or you know, and actually yeah. watching all the others because I watched two, four, five, and six before I went back to three because I'd Me seen too. three I recently. Did that. Yeah. So having watched all of them and watching the slasher stories play out, and then going back to three, I was very cognizant of how purposeful that felt. Well, I think I, I think
0: <laughs> it's it's interesting because there is a see. I don't know if we talked about this last time, but the speaking of like consciousness of wanting to put the um the last two Halloween movies behind them there is a scene in this movie where the lead character is tied to a chair and forced to watch it. <laughs> a boss Hall- to watch the movie Halloween right uh, as if it's the worst thing that could pop possibly happen. Complete torture. <laughs> and you know, speaking of Carpenter, his huge complaint about writing the last movie is he didn't think there was any story left and he wanted to do something totally different. Right. And I, I feel like uh it's difficult to know what Carpenter wrote because there was there was uh three different passes mm. at the script Nigel Neal, um Tommy Lee Wallace and Carpenter. Right. Um but you certainly get a manifestation of how Carpenter feels about going back to the franchise um, in a scene like that. And in the way that this, this movie is, as you say, deliberate about
1: um, subverting every expectation you have of the slasher movie. Well, and it also made me think of Dr. Daniel a little different too, because I'm wondering now if that's completely purposeful. I, I think it is. I am in no doubt now. Yeah. Because. Y- we are the polar I mean... opposite of Laurie Strode. <laughs> it's like. But you know. A you virgin. Noticed... Female. Smart. Yes. You know. Um, daring woman to. A fall down drunk that can't see his kids. <laughs> and is sexually harassing everyone he sees. Yeah. And that's just the beginning. Yes. Uh, That's just just the first scene he's in. You know what I Um... noticed in this viewing that I didn't notice the first time? The first time he's seeing his kids. Yeah. When he walks into the home and he's got the Mm -hmm. masks for them. Yeah. There's a moment where they're like in the kitchen. I think they were eating right before they come out running out. Say, dad, Mm -hmm. dad. Where he kind (sighs) of. Like he has this breath in like. I got to prepare to see my fucking kids. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I was at the bar watching cartoons right now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Which was another thing I noticed. I'm like, that guy's at the bar day drinking, watching cartoons. And he'd clearly been watching cartoons for some time before he said to the bartender, Hey, can we change this? (laughs) Well, I think we
0: speculated in the last episode that it, it was going over his head what was happening in the cartoon <laughs> and he was just out of his depth and he wanted to, he wanted to watch something else cuz it, it was it was insulting it's his intelligence. Just too big for him, the ideas. <laughs> that man's um, been to medical school. <laughs> it's interesting but interesting what you brought out about uh about virginity um because something I did notice in in this movie if you if you accept that in, in a slasher movie the violence is directed towards victims who are socially transgressive yeah. so you know uh, people who have extramarital uh, uh, like premarital or extramarital sex right. or you know subvert some other cultural norms it's interesting that in this movie the people who get it are upstanding members of society people who are on the morally pure side of society. Right. It's the, it's a nuclear family. Um, a woman who is kind of portrayed as basically abstinent, mm-hmm. you know, she's the kind of woman who reads a book, you know, at night in a motel right, instead of exactly. you know, having vicarious sex with a drifter.
1: But um, they also are presented as people and children. And children, children being the, th- but <laughs> like they that like including the child like that family and the woman who wants her shipment they're also presented as uh, uh, just sort of dickish, they're Dick grotesques. Yeah, it's like Daniel says, this place is a zoo, right? And they're so, animals, and, and so <laughs> that dichotomy is a little interesting to me, where they're oh absolutely they're not bad people, they've done nothing wrong, but they. Like we're okay. It was like they wanted to say we're okay watching them die because they're short tempered or not minding their ki- their child as much as yeah. they should. Yeah.
0: Well, we learn to f- we learn to hate them, and then we're made to feel guilty when they're polished off in a horrific yeah, way. Right. And then even the mom of that family is kind of she starts laughing when her sto- son starts turning into a.
1: Bug. insert uh, bug, a, fact, snakes, a, a bug we factory don't, we don't know. a bug and snake factory
0: <laughs> yeah she starts laughing so even she's implicated in not taking it seriously yeah and enjoy in enjoying and the fact that they're in front of a tv set on this kind of like you know fake sitcom set mm-hmm. like some kind of reverse nielsen family <laughs> it's very very strange right. but um but but particularly, you know, t- speaking of the deliberateness of it all, you know, you are purposefully not punishing the intergenerational out of wedlock couple. Yeah. So it's very deliberate on both sides. You know, the victims become the the um the the survivors, and the survivors become the victims. Right. And you've got to think that that's, because it's so, that's so essential to the slasher genre, you've got to think that that is a
1: very, um, deliberate, uh, strategic yeah, inversion. Or, yeah, yeah, right. That's all this. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because that's all the stuff that I was noticing this time that made me think, this movie's better than I gave it credit for before. It I'm definitely... coming around to the Tom Stewart side. Yeah. <laughs> It has it has very
0: high ambitions, mm-hmm. uh, satirically,
1: um, scientifically. I think maybe I was watching it before as a movie. I'm more conscious. <laughs> well, it is a movie. I'm more I conscious think... now of watching it <laughs> I'm as. Glad a you horror weren't trying movie. to read it like a book. I yeah. I'm more conscious <laughs> now of watching it as a horror movie, and with a movie with no horror, the things hmm. we're talking about are very interesting to me. The that these choices that I noticed that's in this viewing that seem to be deliberate, and like you said, either doing an inversion or uh, working against the slasher type, or you yeah. know anything in that vein. I noticed this time and found it really really interesting. Agreed.
0: Um. Oh, and on the other the other side of things, it it it's um it fits thematically with the overall ideas of the Halloween franchise
2: mm-hmm
0: whether that's you know the time frame of Halloween the I you know the, the the idea of masks as a motif right uh, the use of hospital settings um, unexplained running away. <laughs> <laughs> references to Psycho. Um, even, you know, I think pointed this out in the last movie, as as weird and unsettling as the Daniel and Ellie dynamic is, you know, it's demographically the same dynamic of Loomis and... That's true. And Laurie. That's interesting. They make different choices as to how that relationship works, but... right. <laughs> You know, in the in terms of the screenplay, it's the same. Uh, it's the
1: same dynamic. Yep. All right. Well, we're just getting started, everyone, talking, retalking about Halloween 3's season of the witch. It has no witches. Maybe we'll talk about that when we get back. <laughs> well, it has Dick Warlock. That's true. <laughs> All
2: right. We'll be right back. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time.
1: Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2AT Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2AT Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes, if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're gonna find a variety of exercises. You're gonna have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Two A T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not gonna meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back. Once again ladies and gentlemen Tom and I are here rediscussing Halloween 3 Season of the Witch and of course 1982 film
0: <laughs> 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 So I know you know ju- ju- just uh, like an another 1982ism I noticed mm-hmm. which uh was that um we've already talked about the the horrific nuclear family right the 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 Mother of the family, I think, it's called Betty, is eating a Reese's cup when she's walking around the factory before you know her family right. is horrifically murdered, and now of course, 1982 is the year of the unholy allowance between ET and yeah Reese's, and Reese's Pieces, you know, which shifted the goalposts on product placement for years to come yeah. and still haunts us. And it seemed, I mean, it it, it I don't know how deliberate that is probably not at all um but it was an interesting you know that that was the
1: image of consumerism that they were choosing I noticed it too I know I was like peanut butter cup I wonder if that yeah because they I mean they they, they obviously filmed this before or around the same time et's being filmed but you never know if well, Airplane 2 managed to get right. an ET reference. In. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know if this movie was was, you know, like uh edited the night before as that movie was though. Exactly. <laughs> the night before release, <laughs> exactly. As we speculated. As
1: they say it got to the theaters still wet. <laughs> <laughs> um I can't remember if we talked about this but one thing at the beginning of this movie that I just think is sublime is mm-hmm. the one hour later title card I really uh, this is something I think we need to go into
0: depth on because <laughs> so, I was so <laughs> I was trying right. to think of of like what's the minimum amount of time you can have for a time lapse right <laughs> in a movie?
1: The only other example I can think of that's shorter than this is Pulp Fiction. Well, I was just gonna say Pulp Fiction ten minutes later, right? Where he says oh, well tw- twenty minutes I'll be there in ten or something. Yeah.
0: And it's the exact time it's like seconds before the exact time he says that he arrives. Right. Uh but that's a that, that's a very like but that's, that's, that's,
2: that's, for, that's a that's, set piece. That's a joke. <laughs> that's a,
0: joke. <laughs> that's a <laughs> joke. That's a written joke. This is not a joke. Yeah. Um, and what I noticed is that they have time ellipses for when nothing changes. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Or something changes, but there's evidence on screen of how time has passed without the subtitle. Like, the, for instance, um, is, it, is the one hour later the... Um, no. the sm- After the explosion at the hospital... We I think it's right
1: before that, isn't it?
0: Yeah, so we go from night to day, and the car is smoking. Yeah, the car like, well, is still there. But it's like, that's all the information I need to know that time has passed. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I and also found it interesting, because I have a note here that, like, um, the firefighter seemed more concerned about the, the robot death than the doctor, like I don't right. know if you noticed that there was a firefighter behind him, like as an extra, just doing his best firefighter extra acting. Well, we talked about him in in
0: the last episode, and he clearly, you know, he didn't have line. He he couldn't speak. Right. He was a non-speaking extra, and so he's doing a lot of reacting. Yeah. Exactly. And Tom Atkins <laughs> is talking to him, and he's. Oh, looking that's at right. Him you like, did talk about that last time. Like, I buddy, <laughs> I can't say anything. Okay. I, le- I I I legally cannot say anything. <laughs> Um, but I, what struck me this time about the, that sequence was how much it looked like a, like an Ed Wood movie.
1: Yes. Right.
0: And there's a sort of,
1: but that's the thing. It, like there are certain John Carpenter movies that have that look. So it's interesting to me that, and they live as one of them. <laughs> but I, I kind of, I attributed it a little bit to Tommy Lee Wallace's
0: naive, naivete as okay. A, as a director. See, because I was I mean, wondering if it was Carpenter or on his shoulder saying, lip. This is what you're gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> well, well yeah, I mean he was a carpenter prote um, right. he was a carpenter protege, a production designer for Carpenter. So that so both interpretations make sense. Right. But uh there was there was that scene where it looked like straight out of uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space <laughs> And then later on in the movie when when you get to, this is really skipping ahead, but when you get to the um uh you know the the, the villain's lair right. the stonehenge laboratory right um it seems like it probably is impressive in scale that's an album title but the way in which it's filmed makes it seem like the av club of the oh, yeah, yeah, high say, school it's was,
1: it was like <laughs> Something about so it just it was like, like Tommy Lee Wallace had the local kids from the high school set dress,
0: yeah, his movie exactly. That's exactly um, that's exactly how I felt about it, and I did wonder whether at some point, you know, uh, Tommy Lee Wallace is he thinks he's making a cheaper movie than he is, or he doesn't understand to, how to work with production values, which seems weird for a production designer. <laughs> but he's not quite made the leap from, you know, dressing a set to directing, to directing right a set to make it look like something other than what it is, which is a kind of room with
1: people. <laughs> and, and boxes with colored lights. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that was an interesting... Uh,
1: uh, that was an interesting new discovery. Yeah. I'll tell you what was uh not a new discovery. Rape? Yeah, Daniel Chalice. <laughs> but he w- but there was more. That's the thing there was I know. more to discover. <laughs> there, were, there were a couple more.
0: There was a scene about three quarters of the way through when the. Uh, they they've, they've uh, deciding what to, they've been to the factory uh, they've been to the factory the uh, the daytime scene when they go to uh-huh. the factory they go back to the motel and they get back into the motel room daniel gets out a you know whiskey or whatever drinks and he drinks and burps his way through the scene yeah now i've seen tom atkins in other roles you know, if if this was the only thing I'd seen him, in, I'd say that's Tom Atkins fucking up. You know, he took too big a gulp, right. and he has to burp his way through the right. scene. I know he's a great actor, yeah. and that's why I think all of this is purposeful. is is purposeful, and in it, kind of makes historical sense, historical and generic sense, because, I, and we spoke a little about this in the last episode, but I want to go into more depth on it. Okay, um, 1981 was Raiders of the lost ark.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which is kind of, and Indiana Jones is to me the archetype of the sloppy hero yeah um you know he's a, he's the guy who's basically incompetent but he can pull the solution out of his ass at the last minute right and that's to me what the, the you know Dan uh, Dr. Daniel Chalice takes up that mantle in this movie except you know he's pulling the solution out of his 0.25 of an s
1: <laughs> yeah. But...
0: His deflated balloon of an ass <laughs> <laughs> that we see in full, in its
1: full glory, in its full deflated glory. But, I mean, there's, of course, the essential difference between a scoundrel, rogue, charming, yet charming hero, such as Indiana Jones, and an, an honest-to-God actual person with an alcohol problem. But he does he say you know
0: somehow he saves the day true and i think that you know i can imagine when they were writing
1: technically right so yeah is that a further judgment upon his impairment
0: (laughs) what that he misses the two biggest uh he gets two of the three networks He fails to say he fails to save his romantic partner and his children. Right. Okay. (laughs) because
1: we're both still in agreement that she was real. We have to be. I mean, and I I don't think the movie could say that she was anything but that because they show private scenes of her getting caught by robots and led away. And. Yeah. Unless unless you're saying that she's a malfunctioning robot in that moment, there's no reason to have that scene. No, I think well,
0: you know, I think it's probably the fact that I know the robots were added late right. to the screenplay that I know for a fact they would not even considered that yeah. possibility that she was a robot all along. I know people have speculated that, I just don't think it makes sense with how the robots came into the screenplay. In but the we
1: missed a uh, so. we missed an alcohol thing too because. I, mean, I think we talked about it before in the 1982s, but when they get to that town and they, they get into the hotel room first, yeah. remember, she's there to try to find out what happened to her dad. Mm-hmm. She wants to know why her dad died, and she's kind mm-hmm. of chomping at the bit for it. She's like, let's go over to that factory, and his first words are, now, hang on a second. Let's just yeah. take it easy. I could use a drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is
0: after demolishing a six-pack of Miller High Life in, on the the,
1: on the, in the car, which we discussed at length in the last episode, and We'd, boy, did it we make We did,
0: and, and, and also, we're not sure, but potentially, that's a short drive. Well, yeah, we don't know. He's able to run right, back. Yeah, right.
1: But seeing, to that gas station, seeing his head, which is where he of, lives, seeing his head loom back and forth where you could see the corner of that six-pack eeking out oh. as he's lying to his ex-wife on the phone. Yeah. Oh
0: man. And to uh, so and the other the other um, where we talked and something else we talked about in terms of screen heroism was that you know in some ways this is a Bond film and that's your theory yes, as to why right. I like it so much, which uh, uh, is true. I am still not wrong about that. <laughs> it's undeniably true. There is something, there is still possible other reason why I like this movie so much. Doctor Daniel Chalice,
1: um, Sloppy
0: Bond, r- Sloppy. Well, that's it, and 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 uh, this is where it crosses over with Indiana Jones because in a couple of years, Temple of Doom will come out, uh-huh. and will pick up the mantle of what I like to call shit Bond, <laughs> which is. Like movies in which characters have all the style of Bond but none of the content, uh-huh. and I think Indiana Jones in Temple of Doom is the is the is the you know archetype of that as well. He arrives looking like Sean Connery and Goldfinger, right. says a lot of smooth things, and gets poisoned immediately. And- immediately (laughs) and here i think something similar is going on where like daniel Chalice's bond in an alternate universe where women comply with him out of pity and concern for his well-being
1: yeah man
0: (laughs) not through lust right
1: (laughs) or seduction because um well and i i really noticed the question this time when he's let's face it faking, like feigning consideration for her when he's like, Maybe we should get a second room. And she's like, Well, that doesn't work for our cover. Well, I could sleep in the car or I don't know, be better maybe than yeah. this floor. And then like her look back to him where she says, Where do you want to sleep, Doctor Chalice? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I just and, yeah, remember and, and- thinking that's the most forced question uh a character has ever been forced to ask, yeah, because it's a
0: it's it's the screenplay's way of of you know uh, getting Daniel off the hook for committing statutory rape. Yeah,
1: yeah, because and I then, mean, there's no it,
0: and she refuses to answer how old she is, so it's on her.
1: <laughs> her fault. This movie's blaming right. the woman.
0: And while I don't enjoy that in any way. I do enjoy the fact that he is... That is the correct statement to make. I do enjoy the fact that he is portrayed as, you know, the least smooth womanizer... Ever. ...out there. Yeah. Because, again, it's more examples of the, you know, shit bond.
1: But I got... I also Uh, got, like, re... I I re-felt my anxiety when the love scene starts, which I also... Believe I commented in our in our 1982 single sequels episode that this was like the first scene they shot together. <laughs> they sh- I blogged that out. I must have blogged out. They that showed up to set, and I believe that was scene oh. one for them. So he went straight in with the boob kissing. Yes, and so oh, that's I can't, like, that's that's unthinkable. What I think is like so hard to swallow in that scene too is that well. Sorry, no pun intended, but... <laughs> don't make it worse. I know. The, the make-out starts, and then you see his naked back, and he's on top of her. And this appears to be sort of, you know, a movie that would have needless boobs in it, right? So you think you're going to see her boobs, and you don't, but the only reason you don't is because they're in his mouth. <laughs> because there's there's a Tom
0: Atkins in the way.
1: Yes. And all I kept thinking was, God, I hope that was planned. Tell me that wasn't an improv.
0: I love the idea that, you know, like when they, um, when they censor nipples, uh-huh. you know, in broadcast TV screenings, uh, that, that henceforth they will put, instead of blurring it out, they'll just put like a Tom Atkins face right over
1: it on each mouth open.
0: I think he'd be up for that. I've I've oh, seen him in okay. interviews. Damn it. Yeah, it's uh, it's um, troubling. Yeah, to say the least. It's a troubling scene, and it's more troubling that uh, they they write it in such a way that, that he's not responsible for his actions. Yeah.
1: Um. Well, they write it in such a way that. Her asking the question, "Where do you want to yeah. sleep, Doctor?" chalice yeah is extra ridiculous because they have taken no time to show that these two people have any kind of connection right it's just because his response to that question is that's a very silly question but this is this is what i mean about women don't don't want him they just feel bad for him (laughs) i know (laughs) like in the in the scene with is Grimbridge. and it's like it's like the movie is saying well she's young so he's gotta fuck her right yeah you know? well
0: the, the assumption is it's okay to ask a question about how old someone is after you have sex with them than before right. so that's a troubling 1982 assumption uh but the it, it's interesting to think what the screenplay thinks, is <laughs> avoids moral ambiguity mm-hmm. just like yeah, exactly. well he asked her he asked her afterwards so that's We're good, you know right? what more can, what more can a man do <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um and it's you know you get a similar tone from the the scene with Teddy the morgue assistant who as we said before he he is his money penny right and he treats her as such and she kind of plays along with it uh and she just looks at him with such pity mm-hmm.
1: at how, what his life has become. And the nurse who has her ass patted, right, has to laugh that off. Something else I <laughs> has
0: to laugh that off <laughs> because it's nineteen eighty two. Yeah. Uh, something something He's else just that a I scamp. Did, something else that I did notice in those um, early hospital scenes. First of all, I think it's incredibly bold of this movie to. To begin with a sl- another slow moving hospital sequence after the second half of the last movie. Right. <laughs> that takes some guts <laughs> to go back into the hospital. <laughs> um, but the nurse reacts to. Uh, I mean, obviously, what she sees is horrific. You know, Manus had his face pulled off. But it's a hospital.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she reacts as if she's never seen anything traumatic before. <laughs>
1: Well, I think, very I, weird... think, I think her reaction has more to do with the fact that she knows it's a murder. Right, but don't don't hospitals get murders, like, quite a lot?
0: I mean, we're not in no, I mean Haddonfield. One that's, like, we're not in Haddonfield anymore. What I
1: mean is one that's happened five to ten seconds before she entered the room. The murderer's in the room.
0: Right. You know. Okay. So, it's just a lot, there's a lot of baffling... Character moments in this movie that I'm not sure
1: how to take. Yeah. I mean, I noticed some things like when they get to town, everybody in town notices a car that they don't notice or that they don't know. Wait, what was my note? Everyone recognizes a car they don't recognize. (laughs) I don't know. There are, but again,
0: I, I, I'd, I'd fall on the, I, I, I'd, I'd give that the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I think that's a small, that's a way of introducing it as a small town where everyone knows each other, and if you're just a hair out of place, no,
1: yeah, you're not wrong about that. But I also noticed that, uh, I don't think I noticed that the town had a curfew. I, didn't, I didn't remember that. This
0: is, you're, this is, this is the source of my bafflement.
1: But this the is town a big has source. a curfew, but he can get booze. After right. the curfew, and the store and the liquor, <laughs> and the liquor store is liquor store open. Is open. <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> and the and you can be homeless and and wander around too.
1: Exactly. Right.
0: Yeah. That none of that make none of that makes none sense. It. it does. It doesn't. When she when Ellie gets out of the shower in the hotel room, you see you get a little bit of shower shower door bush and boom. <laughs> right. It's steamed up, and then she gets out and she's cold. She puts an entire blanket on. It's like, okay, which is it? Are you are you hot from the shower, or are you cold from the shower? <laughs> Same with the gas station attendant. I mean, we already said that, you know, he, meet, he re-meets him at the end of the movie, and they don't acknowledge that they've met before. Right. But also what I noticed in this movie, I think we talked about this a, a little bit, when they first arrives at the hospital, they seem to want to make a point, because it's the 80s, that that a guy. He can do a good deed. <laughs> he can do a good deed. And then they completely talk himself out of this. He's going, Well, I just don't want to get in trouble. And then he runs out of the hospital. Yeah, and he's like skulking out of that hospital. More unexplained running
1: away. They keep more unexplained running away. Yeah, they, but, he skulks out of that hospital, they keep going back to him, looking yeah. back as he's walking out. <laughs> so it's like it's like what there's so many moments
0: in this is what are you saying about this character? Yeah, exactly. Just tell me in one clear sentence what you are saying about this character. And with Daniel Chalice, that kind of co- those kind of contradictions work. With Colonel Crocker, and those contradictions work with everyone, everyone else. else it's no... just confusing. <laughs> all right,
1: all right. Let's take another break, and then we'll come back, and we'll finish up. Uh, I assume talking about the elaborate set piece ending for this movie. Right after
2: it's this. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time.
1: Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2AT Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2AT Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out 2AT Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. Mostly, right? Or completely? Uh, no, I don't. I think he probably did direct all of all this. Right.
0: I don't. I think Carpenter was, was pretty much done. He, as I understand it, I think we said this in the last episode, he intervened in the script... Right. To take the race, to take the anti-Irish sentiment out of it from Nigel Neal's original version. Mm-hmm. Something also that I note, I mean, we talked a little bit about uh, Nigel Neal, who I think you're just going to have to look up and see, you know, <laughs> what was in his what was in his career. But I would say the one of the most uh, significant things about his career is he inv- he basically as a writer. In the TV serial Qu- *Quatermass and the Pit*, invented the idea of ancient technology in science fiction. This idea that, okay, it's, b- it's very commonplace now, but wasn't before *Quatermass and the Pit*. That modern-day technology comes from ancient culture. Whether that's that you know we were once advanced and then and then we went back, or right. You know the the more common aliens came and and gave us technology. Um, and okay. from the nineties onwards with Stargate and um, right yeah, you know all the way through to uh Crystal Skull, Fifth Element. Uh, so that's all him, and that through line is definitely here in this movie.
1: All right, that's it's probably his
0: biggest it's probably his biggest contribution. That and the uh the idea that television broadcasting can be used as a form of horror. Yeah, right. That's him too.
1: Very interesting.
0: It is. And again, it, it makes this movie unique in the series and uh, interesting in its own right. All right, fine. I won't deny it anymore. <laughs> All, and also, you know, and, and they had the Samane stuff in the witch and druid stuff in 2. Uh-huh. So th- this legitimizes that. Yeah. And then this will then le- uh, possibly, we'll discuss, legitimize the Cult of Thorn. Possibly, <laughs> <Right>. maybe.
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> we'll get certainly,
0: there. certainly, it's easier to see Cult of Thorn through the prism of this than it is the other way around.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, where do we go next? I mean, because, you know, obviously this is the second time we've talked about this and we could talk yeah. about the ending again. But before the ending, there's that wonderful bit in the middle with him bumbling and stumbling around town. Yeah, it's... I I loved that, like, so much more on this viewing. It really struck me as funny and wonderful. There was one moment where he tries to dive into some plants, yes. and he somehow flips around like a turtle on his back yes. with his legs up in the air, and it's again, delicious. Again, you
0: know, just like the last movie, With yeah, I could watch a whole movie of uh, Michael Myers walking around Haddonfield. Right. I could watch a whole movie of <laughs> Dr. Daniel Chalice, like a first person video game of Dr. Daniel Chalice <laughs> Santa Mirror at Night. <sighs>
1: And it's, it's an amazing... The GoldenEye the... single-shooter game version of... It's funny you mention Goldene-
0: GoldenEye, because this is such a Bond movie, it even predicts later Bond movies. They do I the know. whole GoldenEye... Uh, you can't... You can't get me. I've got a... Tro- I've I'm, got like I'm, a uh, yeah, he's
1: pushing the cart. A trolley
0: full of dangerous <laughs> stuff, which is the cold open to, to GoldenEye. Yeah. So even when this movie's like... And made it into my pitch-a-sequel in
1: for... Uh, uh, Austin Powers,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. Always comes back to Goldeneye. I'm telling um, you. <laughs> and then I, I also, I, I mean, one of the things that really struck me this time was just that that gorgeous image of the of the old clockwork lady in the, um, in yeah. the corner knitting in a rocking chair. I when Daniel yeah. first arrives in the factory, I noticed it too. And again, I think it's before this. I don't remember there being many clockwork robots in a lot of science fiction, and it seems like we've had nothing but since. Right. It's like such a like steampunk really latched onto this idea of like the uh, the mechanical man that's not electronic. It's clockwork. Um, mm-hmm. And I just I just think it's it's fascinating and. Um, also, the, I mean, we could talk about the score because that is pure John Carpenter. Oh yeah,
1: I mean, so John Carpenter.
0: But it's also a, it's a really judicious score because it plays those kind of those um, video notes, those kind of yeah. those really electronic things that remind you that the, the the subject of this movie is not film, it's video and television.
1: Yeah. Right. But I uh, I noticed that a lot more in this viewing. I noticed what I would describe as how much the score elevates this movie, too. Absolutely. And then, But then when you get
0: into the sort of more old-world settings, like Santa Mira and The Factory with the old lady, the score gets a bit more classical and sounds more like the original Halloween score. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's a very intelligent score that's playing with... Um, Playing with dimensions of what we've heard before in the score and bringing new things to it, but also uh, uh, kind of judiciously, um, judiciously suggesting uh, previous Halloween compositions.
1: Well, and I
2: noticed in a really nice
0: way. However, ask... my big complaint here's my big complaint about the score. Okay. And this is a complaint that only I will have. <laughs> All right. It sounds a little too much like my smoke alarm. <laughs> when daniel is running around Santa Maria at night i have and i did i've done this in every viewing of the movie i was like is that the smoke alarm or is that in the movie And i turn the volume down checking turn the volume down checking wow but that's it otherwise it's perfect i do not have that complaint myself no <laughs> <laughs> but also and again like i don't know how much it's it's you know you could spec it's, it's easy to speculate that, that John Carpenter might be up to date with what's going on in ele- electronic music and the influence of like Kraftwerk both on the score and like the visual representation of the of the robot people
2: uh-huh. i mean
0: that's straight out of Kraftwerk that's like the the way that the band costume themselves hmm. is exactly the same way as these guys are depicted and the music that's behind them is exactly the same as Kraftwerk so it's kind of
1: Oh wow. Okay. I
0: like to think that and it's exactly the right period for that, you know, Carpenter starting in the 70s moving into the 80s that's the Kraftwerk period so Yeah. I think I think there's uh there's a lot there's a lot going on but you know it, it
1: yeah it doesn't feel like Halloween a Halloween movie but there's but it, fe- these... it doesn't feel like a Halloween movie, but it feels connected to the Halloween series. Yes.
0: it is. Yeah, it has it has connected tissue. Tissue, yeah. And we've talked about this before with with you know on on this podcast. You we don't uh, we don't penalize movies that want to do something different, mm-hmm. but we also reward movies that that extrapolate from what's come before. Yeah, and this is
1: right in the right in the pocket of that I think yeah of, I I don't think you're wrong about that and um I mean there were a few moments too we spoke earlier about the woman at the hotel room reading her book and we spoke of her death in the last episode yeah which I remembered as being kind of comically ridiculous yeah but, before the bugs started crawling out of her mouth, I wish they didn't have those bugs crawling out of her mouth because when the laser hits her face and you had the close up on on her mouth that like yeah looked like it had exploded kind of out but crisped yeah like baked that was that was some good body horror yeah I actually were... was kind of struck by that this time where I thought oh fuck I really felt that on yeah. this viewing. It's certainly it's visceral. I think it's yeah. Just, it was really visceral. It's just actually kind of low key, mm-hmm. as well. Because it's really a, one of the maybe the only moment like that in the whole movie. Yeah. I mean, you have, uh, Daddy Harry Grimbridge kind of getting his eyes pushed in. Yeah. And then you have sort of the same thing happen to a robot, but since yeah. it's a robot, you don't care. Right, Then the, the the robot
0: thing fucks everything up, and as then, does the as does the people turning into insects. Like if you remove those two things, yeah. it would be a lot scarier. And then there's have the homeless it,
1: death, which looks like yeah. it's gonna be a forced blowjob on a robot.
0: <laughs> would you be surprised? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think part of, part of it is is again, the anti-slasher dimension of this, the fact that you expect it to be uh, filmed as if it's a jump scare. So if you're, if you're kind of like, if you're expecting it to be a jump scare, it falls flat. If you're just looking at it in terms of like Cronenbergian body horror. Um,
1: and I just love the idea of... That was the scene actually that made, that really made me think of Cronenberg was that woman's face. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: and again, I think it's like people going in to see this movie in 1982 were expecting something else and and they were, you know, they they already had their framework and none of that fits into the framework mm-hmm. um, but it's actually in the way a more interesting use of the motif of masks right because the way that the the way that the man machines take, uh, people's faces off is as if it's removing a mask and of course you know the central threat of this movie is putting on a mask and the mask uh, destroying, destroying you, from, you within. From,
1: from within right
0: which makes me want to ask you know c- can we do a, even though there's not a Michael Myers mask here can we do a mask watch on this movie because there's a lot of fucking masks
1: well, and none
0: of them are Michael Myers but none of them a... are
1: Michael Myers but they're all
0: good because I remember when we discussed this with Matt Aldrich he was He uh, I mean, he hates this movie, but he did. He he. So specifically says like, what's and this I sympathize with this. What's so great about these masks (laughs) that every kid wants them? Right. And to me, that's watching it this time. I was like, well, that's kind of the point. Like, I guess, you know, ontologically, there's nothing different from I the, think that has the shitty to... gas door masks that, that, right. that, that, exactly. that Daniel gives those because kids. Because in 1982... But they have a microchip on them.
1: Right. In 1982, we had more the shitty plastic mask with the rubber band on the back. Yeah. And so... That would be my response. Like You know, the masks that we have today... I don't remember seeing a lot of those masks when i was a kid but it's also the i think also the idea and, and this all place three in of t- these masks look better than any of matt a uh, mask i would have gone to a store to get right in, uh, and they're designed by Don post so
0: they will be you know yeah but um but i also thought you know that was also a comment on commercialism it's like it's the, essentially the same mask stick a you know a microchip on it or a badge Tell people, you know that that it's tell people it's very you know it's a very exciting mask.
1: Yeah, I don't take in, it tie more... it in
0: with the TV commercial. Yeah,
1: I didn't take it more. It's all yeah, smoke exactly. and mirrors. I I have it more to do with the selling of it than the yeah. actual mask itself. I which I, is the satirical I take it From dimension. the consumerism point of view, yeah, where you're inundated with commercials. Not only just for the masks, but like wear your mask on Halloween night, and something yeah. great and special is going to happen. That's right. So yeah. it becomes an that's event. That's
0: the hook. Yeah, and it's and that's really perceptive because you know it 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 just shows that it's exactly the way that companies make us pay more money for things uh, based on you know arbitrary criteria that just happens to be promoted well. Right. That's why we all eat bacon. Yeah, even though it's killing us. Yeah. So <laughs> <It's> because because <laughs> Big Bacon does its uh, does its, does job, its right. job well. <laughs> um, so I thought I thought that was uh, so you know I I like I I like the I like the use of masks both conceptually and how they appear in in the movie as well. Yeah. I guess the only moment that bothered me was when, uh, Connell Cochran. Uh, pe- uh, temporarily turns into John McCain before he explodes. <laughs> there's like a they put a, like a they have a mask. Not it's like not a diegetic mask. It's like he turns into a mask before he explodes as part of a practical effect. And for a second, he looks just like John McCain. And I can't imagine that's what they were going for.
1: Did you notice by the way? There's a huge bad edit in this movie. Where they show an overhead shot Singular. of all the robots on the ground. Right. After the buttons have come down and destroyed yeah. them. And they show it at least twice, maybe three times they show an overhead shot. And Connell Cochran is not dead yet. But on the overhead shot, you yeah. see his body lying on the ground. Yeah, yeah no, that's, uh Yeah. That's uh, I I I think
0: I noticed that that was in my notes from last time and I I kind of made a, a double note of that.
1: Yeah. Um, but I also, sure do love that golf clap, that that quiet. Well, we should give a little bit admittance. of time to talk about
0: Connell Cochran because. Yeah. Again, it's really it just con- it it reconfirmed everything that I already thought that, um. You know that they've they've crafted a villain who eschews all the trappings of villainy. <laughs> and, right. and, you know, they have the... they he have even the does the James
1: a... Bond villain thing where he tells him the whole plan.
0: Well, he tells him how the Stonehenge chip works, but he doesn't explain how the particle in it works, which I feel is the only thing we need to know. True.
1: But he does I tell mean, I him... guess in
0: 1982, you might have been less microchip savvy. Right. But I'm certain, but in, you know, 2021, I'm Magic Stonehenge Particle uh, (laughs) ignorant.
1: (laughs) I can't even see that with my 2021 eyes. (laughs) 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 But it's,
0: uh, yeah. Um, And something something else I kind of, I had a little bit of a problem last time I watched this with how much Daniel checks out in the last quarter of the movie. Like, as soon as he's caught, he basically is comatose for a good <laughs> 20 minutes of the movie. But <laughs> right. now I realize that maybe that's a good way to give Co- Connor Cochran more play, because he's just kind of running things. Right. He's just taking... Because we haven't seen any of him, really. Yet. Nah, yeah, right. And it's just a chance to sort of see him, um, you know, kind of like working the room. And you get a glimpse of how he's introduced as this kind of like practical joker. Uh, kind of guy, which is, you know, the, the the dad of the family is like, oh, he's the guy who invented the. Right. Um, whatever it was. The um, jokes that we've all heard of. Yeah. Practical jokes we've all heard of. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> the well known um, practical jokes that have been yeah. sold throughout stores for decades until we decided to make Halloween masks. And it's just, you know, in terms of purely in terms of acting, um,
0: Dan O'Hurleyhe, is that his name? Yes. Yes. Uh I was really impressed this time with how quickly he turned on a dime. Like he went from, you know, this kind of avuncular um uh behavior to like he turned to his hen the few times he turns he sort of he says something very jolly and, you know, blarney-ish <laughs> to the room. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's basically he—he's he, he, he's like this is me kind of paraphrasing, but he, he turns like shots for everyone. Yeah, he turns right. his henchmen, it's like kill them all, yeah. and he does that <laughs> right. like three or four times. <laughs> no. yeah. And for some reason, Dado like yeah, and again, that's classic Bond villain behavior. Um, I guess the lack of ADR helps, but um, it just just the way Dad Hurley he manages that transition is is very admirable like there's no contradiction between uh hero and villain in his mind.
2: And right. That plays really right.
0: well. <laughs> That plays really nicely.
1: Yeah. And it makes us well, why he, Like, I is mean, this it's, guy really the worst thing in the world? Right. It's it's why he works. I mean, it's he yeah. it's a great performance. I really do love him in this movie. Now, where do you come out on uh, Ellie as a robot? I still don't like I still <laughs> You 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 said
0: that you know you remembered the um, the the hotel room woman scene as being comic. Yeah. I can't imagine. I don't think they intended for the the Ellie robot fight to be comic. But I can't imagine under any circumstances where it would not seem like Why way. it would not be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He gets attacked by a broken robot three times consecutively. I know. <laughs> and I think part of what I think the failure of that sequence is, and that reveal, is that by this point there's just no there's no stakes in it, and they're also trying to film it as a series of jump scares. Like maybe there was yeah. a note from on high like, Oh, we don't have any slasher things in this movie. And they were like, okay, well, we'll we'll kill someone with a drill. That's a bit slashery, right? It's like, yeah, but we need right. a few jump scares to end the movie. It's like, <laughs> I'm sure they're like, well, they're plus, going, we have like... the be- literally the best ending you could possibly imagine. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but building up to that, we might want a few. So they just have various different limbs of the robot attacking him. Yes, that's him. what I
1: was going to say. And there's this great Wah. moment where the arm, just the arm, attacks him. And yeah. it's choking him, but you see the the, you see the hand around the neck, and then you see the thumb come off of it. Yeah, and you know that he could just at that point pull the hand straight down, but he doesn't. And then, no, and he like kind of puts it forward and allows again it to choke his <laughs> Again, it's him going it's more. going back to Ed As Ed if Wood it's the... foreplay. <laughs> it goes back to
0: Ed Wood and uh, Bella Lugosi throwing the octopus tentacles on himself. Right. You know, it's that kind of. And and the plot twist is meaningless at this point. Mm-hmm. It serves no function. It won't affect anything. No, yeah. Um, and it and it 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 begs a lot of questions that cannot possibly be answered. Right. So, <laughs> and you've got you know the ending of the movie is so strong. You really didn't. You really didn't need it. Um, this time looking through it, I think there's possibly there's a couple of nice hints that. Uh If you wanted to, you could see it as uh, um, foreshadowing that, that the uh, these are robots. like the, um, you know, we commented on how ridiculous the explosion, um, in the hospital is mm-hmm. when the guy blows up the car. It's like, well, if he's a robot, probably whatever that lemon curd is that he uses yeah, for blood it's is it's probably flammable. pretty flammable, right? <laughs> right. So that kind of makes that kind of makes, and it's like, how how are they killing people so easily? How are they able to rip a man's head R- off? Rip like a, a man's a mass? head
1: off, exactly.
0: So there's some, but I think those are, that's optional. I think that's them quickly counting through what happens in the movie and going, yeah, robot will kind of work. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. There's probably a better solution, but, you know.
1: Oh, man. We're under
0: the gun here, people. <laughs> All
1: right. Anything left for you on Halloween 3?
0: Uh, Let's see. Um, We've talked about the ending before. We don't need to go back over that. It's... Uh, a great cliffhanger, great. Yeah. a great allusion to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, um, you know, uh, and do, doing the real ending of that movie that censorship prevented them from doing in the 50s. So right. it's it's just great. The opening and closing of this movie is so strong. I think that really helps the movie. Yeah. Uh, the end credits movie has a beat that makes it sound like an opening theme from a 80s TV cop procedural. <laughs> right? Yeah. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I also noticed that, speaking to the cheapness of it all, only two animal people worked on this movie. Seems like you need a lot more people to handle all those bugs and snakes. Wow, yeah, no, that's... I mean, that must have been crazy on set, like... what? (laughs) Just one guy guy picking up a hundred bugs. Picking up a hundred fucking
1: bugs. (laughs) You do bugs, I'll do snakes. It's like, I'm going to need help with the bugs too. Yeah, come on, come on. You were done with yeah. those snakes twenty minutes ago. <laughs> Help me.
0: And uh, and and that's all I have. All um, right. Returning champion for me.
1: Well, I think you're insane. There's, yeah. There's no way that the best of uh, a Michael Myers sequel could be taken over by Halloween three, Halloween three season of the witch. Michael Myers is in the movie. <laughs>
0: Michael Myers is in the movie that they watch in the movie. (laughs) It's good enough for me. Donald Pleasence mentioned Samane. Good enough for me. It does not
1: rise to that level, but I will officially declare it within the Halloween series a good movie. Yeah. So congratulations. It's very rewatchable. It is. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, what do you think? Are you changing your (laughs) mind? <laughs> Do want us to stop talking about Halloween 3 season of the I witch know. so much
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> alright you let us know what you think of Halloween 3 season of the witch by all means find us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com for Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions I am Michael Schantz. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. You'll be hearing us next time for Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers. Say goodbye, Tom. Bo bepo pepo
0: Eight more days to Halloween, Halloween, eight more days, Halloween, eight more days. Oh, so tired of talking about this.
2: That's great. So long, everyone.